In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I briefly go over the Sixers' 120-95 Game 2 victory over the Washington Wizards to take a 2-0 series lead, going over some quick takeaways from that game. We then bring on Fred Katz, the Wizards reporter for The Athletic, to go over what he has seen so far in the first two games, how he thinks the Wizards might adjust, and what he thinks their chances are of making this a competitive series. You can follow Fred Katz on Twitter, at Fred Katz, and be sure to check out his podcast, Wizards After Dark. Enjoy the episode. All right, welcome everybody. This is once again Derek Bonner joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We will do a real quick recap here of the Sixers game two win, a 120 to 95 victory over the Washington Wizards, where the Sixers pulled away towards the end of the first half and pretty much kept them at bay the entire second half. I don't think it was pretty much between a 15 and 25 point lead for the majority of the second half. It was a blowout for most of the night uh, after Rich and I go over uh, again. It's just going to be a brief recap. Um, if you want more detail, go over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat. I wrote a recap last night. Rich is going to have a follow-up. Uh, we will have more detail for you there. Uh, but after this, we will bring on Fred Katz, the Wizards reporter for The Athletic and host of Wizards After Dark podcast, to give uh, the other side's perspective on the first two games of the series and where we go from, from there. But how you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. You know, it's... Uh... It's it's a lot with uh with these two day breaks that we have, you know. It's we're we're not going to see the Sixers and Tobias Harris scoring every five seconds again for a couple of days. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm doing good, you know. N- another good, uh, well, not a besides one thing, another fun atmosphere in the arena, yeah. and uh, and yeah, it was. I mean, you know, series is going how uh, I think we roughly thought. You know, we're we're cruising towards a. Uh, either a four or five game series here. Yeah. And this one was an even easier win than the first one. Uh, they didn't have, you know, that, that, that bad stretch to make it interesting at least. And the wizards quite frankly, missed a lot of shots. You didn't have them beaten foul trouble. There was just everything that kept the game close in the first half uh, of game one didn't happen in game two. And I mean, the Wizards shot two for 22 from three. It's not going to win very many nights. So bo- uh, those are both bad numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, the Sixers didn't shoot that many more threes, but they at least made a couple more. Uh, and it's it's easier to shoot threes when you're uh, you have Ben Simmons being guarded by Beal and Harris being guarded by Ben. It felt like Beal was he, he was taking the brunt of some matchups last night. Let's just put it that yeah, way. Yeah, he's 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 his defense since he has become a the league leading scorer has definitely taken a hit, which is understandable. But considering they have no other real good defenders, is problematic. Uh, but the, the Sixers ended up. Ben Simmons, 22 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists in 29 minutes. Joel Embiid, 22 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists in 26 minutes. And Tobias Harris, 19 points, 9 rebounds in 23 minutes. So the point totals are great. The minute totals are great. The efficiency, Harris shot 9 for 13. Embiid, 8 for 12. Simmons, 11 for 15. Really representative of going up against a team that has no prayer against any one of them. Um and that should remain the same. I mean, look, the odds of all three of them having a bad offensive night in the same game, considering how bad Washington is at defending each of the three. It's um, not happening. It, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a tall. I mean, 
gentleman sweep at worst, I think. I think this is one prediction where you might actually get right. If Washington wins, it'll be because they, they outscore them and they shoot, you know, 11 of 22 from three as opposed to uh, right. two and, and Beal has a uh, has a good game. It, was, it, uh, it might legitimately take 50 points from Beal for them to win a game. He seems like he's capable. He, of oh, that. certainly. I mean, he's he's averaging 33 a night and he's, I think, made two threes the entire series. Like he is certainly capable of he gets hot from the perimeter. He could steal a game. He's just not stealing four. I so you know I tweeted this early during the game last night. I I wonder if they should start top locking him like teams used to do to Redick because or like they did to Harris a couple of years ago. Yeah, and the, you know the I think the Joe Clippers Harris. Did, I mean, not Tobias. Sorry. Yep, and the Clippers did it to uh, Durant. I think famously at one point. I I mean honestly, like he he is. I think th- there were a couple things coming into the series that we knew. We were like, I, I think in the preview, I think I used the word world-class score for Beal. Uh, he's been better than that, you know, and coming off that, what was it? A quad injury, right? Uh, he has looked great, you know, attacking Embiid. I, I wonder, it felt like in the first half of last night's game, Embiid was still spooked by the foul trouble from the previous game. Not In general, not Joel Embiid's, two best rim protection games, I would say. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think I would try something differently because if it's just Simmons chasing him around and Embiid worried about foul trouble at the rim, usually that's something that's in the Sixers' favor, but not against this guy for some reason. So, you know, he's got like every trick in the book with these floaters and Euro steps and just, you know, very intelligent um, finishes around the rim and mid-range shots he has been awesome but it's unfortunately for the wizards what we knew coming into the series you look at this roster they don't have any wings that that could be a problem that has been an even bigger problem than i I thought like it's insane how easily we we said tobias harris and ben simmons one of them is going to have a big series they both should have a monster series and it's you know I, I do not want to get into a Simmons discussion because guess what? They're coming for a month and a half yep. uh, after yep. this. And to me, this first round, the idea that Ben Simmons can dominate a game against the Washington Wizards with zero guards, that is not what he needs to prove. He is, we have seen that already. We've seen him score a million points against the Brooklyn Nets, who actually had wings on that team. Not very good ones, but they actually had like like sized guys who could theoretically guard him. This is a joke how easy it is to score on uh, on Simmons. I I think at one point Beal moved over to uh to Harris. So I think they had do they have ish on Ben? It's just they have literally no options to uh to guard him and that's why you know him shooting 3 of 9 in the first game. Yeah, maybe people are overrating it a little bit, but it's just like, man, you could score 20 points very easily against this team by bullying these guys to the rim. And to his credit, he did it last night. I'm just saying it doesn't mean anything in terms of like proving what he could do. We, we knew he could do this. No, uh, but it is nice seeing him take advantage of mismatches because guess what? Like against Brooklyn, he will have times where they'll try to stick Kyrie Irving on him and try to keep their bigger, better defenders on Harris uh, and, and other Sixers players. It is nice to see him be like, okay, look, I've got a tiny guy on me. Um, they're doing that because they don't expect me to try to take advantage of it. Like you still need him to take advantage of those mismatches, mismatches and be aggressive because that will like that confidence will be needed in future series. And I think so much of the, the Simmons debate, like 
most people right now aren't like, I want him shooting three threes a game and, you know, pulling up off the dribble. Like, I think the goals we set for Ben, a catch and shoot corner three, improvement at the free throw line and being more aggressive when you have a mismatch. I think those are realistic goals. Like, I don't think anyone's asking him to completely change who he is. Um, like, what... what <clears throat> I don't want to get into a whole Ben Simmons. No, let's, not, let's not get into it. Well, well, I, I'm but, just saying he, 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 and by the way, the corner three is not happening. No, this it's year. not but, this year. Absolutely. But the, the other two things get to the free throw line and, and attack the rim. It's something he should do with ease against this team and, and congrats to him for doing it. But his time to prove stuff like they, they, whether it's him or people online, you don't think victory laps after the second game against the Wizards. Well, this team what's can't handle me is people like, oh, well, you want Ben to be more aggressive. Well, here, here, here's proof that he can. Great. That's our point. That that's that's like that's like our point when we're saying we that, that you can get more out of Ben. Yeah. But and by, by the way, I think he's going to have at least one monster game down in Washington too. Like he just, and if, he, if they play Atlanta, he'll have a couple monster games there too. Absolutely. I, absolutely. And he was great. Tobias again was great. Had the, had the ankle scare, but uh, I, I think that's honestly the story of this series. I, I know that this team can't handle Joel, but nobody can really handle Joel right now. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Suck it right now with the, uh, the fall on the floor and, and do the celebration. But uh, I liked there was I, I think it was a um, wizards person for NBC sports. Uh, Washington, and they're like, that's the most disrespectful celebration I've ever seen. Well, he's done that like a dozen times this year, so it's not the most disrespectful because he's done it consistently. It's not about you, buddy. Anyway, NBC Washington and the Sixers. That's I, I did not hear that, but that's a that's a simmering rivalry. <laughs> yeah. uh, I hope I let's just say I hope uh, Ben Simmons can't find any pictures of me with a, uh, a, <laughs> in, a in a hotel or whatever. <laughs> are, are, are you trying to say that you're not? Super tall? Is that was that the reference you're making? I, I think he's probably right about that. I'm What's, not. I'm not that what, tall. What does that short guy know? How, how does he get the right about me? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's probably thought about that. Well, I'm six two, but questions. Rich will kick my ass in basketball, so I'm not sure the two really have any correlation. But anyway, anyway, anyway. So yeah, I mean, honestly, great. It, they did a. I thought a bad job on Beal, but when I say they did a bad job, Beal was excellent too. Like he just, sometimes you have to give credit to the, the other guy for, uh, for breaking your scheme. And he, I thought Beal, especially he picked on Seth Curry a little bit. You saw maybe something we'll see in like a Brooklyn series, you know, Seth Curry hard hedging the screen and he got switched onto uh Beal a couple times. And then I thought in the first half, the Sixers like transition defense, it, it wasn't always the initial bucket, but just creating a mismatch and, and the wizards playing with pace. They got him again. Like I, I thought yeah. it was a, a below average half, but the Sixers scored 71 points. When yeah. you get that version of Simmons, I, I mean, they're just going to score really easily on the, and they actually make a couple of their threes. It's uh. Yeah, I, the story of the series is just their their wings are too big for for Washington and Washington. I don't know why they don't have any wings. You know, it does seem like a mild omission. Uh, yeah, it's uh, like Obvia when the Sixers were like, "Well, we don't actually need people to dribble the basketball." This is this is a similar level of problem. This is <laughs> I, I don't want to. You know, we we have talked about not being able to dribble a basketball for a long time. To not have 
players in the six five to six <laughs> nine range who can shoot a little bit and switch. Like the Sixers have a couple of those at least, you know, or at least you know they're not perfect players, but they they certainly fit that category, and uh, I think most teams do. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that, but uh, yeah, and the good. Uh, the, the other thing I would say is, you know, when you got in the second half, good performance from Matisse and yep. good performance from Maxi, who, uh, you know, I think it, it did go to show just as much as the all bench unit can get, uh, can get flack from some fans. It, it really, to paint a contrast between the two teams, you have Beal who is, he's in the game at the end of the third quarter, early fourth. And if the game stays close, he is going to play 43, 44 minutes the Sixers have all bench and they're running offense through their 11th man rookie and they're beating them because those guys are pretty good and they're fresh. So uh, yeah, that's, that's the other problem too. I, I, I do the the wizards are, I would say a little bit fortunate that there are these long breaks in between these games, because I don't know. I feel like Beal would be pretty tired after these games to where Embiid. I'm not sure he's that tired. You know, I think he, uh, I, I'm not sure he's working, quite as hard as uh as he normally has to so it's it's a mismatch it's 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 very much a one eight series yep as he as he picks apart those first grade double teams as you uh you put it last podcast um yeah so it's a one eight matchup where the 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 talent and the style of play uh makes that probably even more pronounced they should they, they should win it in four and you'll you'll take five but it really shouldn't go beyond that uh i guess we do have to sort of address the fan incident uh, that you alluded to at the beginning where a fan dumped a tub of popcorn on Russell Westbrook as he was leaving the arena following his ankle injury. Not a good night for ankles, by the way. No, no. Harris and Curry, too. And, and Curry didn't return. Now, he was questionable to re- return. The Sixers were up by a million. There's no reason he, to. He didn't need to come back. To yeah. force it back. Uh, so we will see how that reacts here in the next couple of days, which is usually the case with ankles anyway. Curry's and ankles are scary. Yeah. I'll just say, you know, the, the shooting runs in the family, but the, the ankle trouble is, uh, you know, that's, that's a little dicey and you want Seth, uh, you need him. You need that three point shooting. Yep. So, absolutely. uh, not for this series, but at some point. So hopefully that's okay. It was honestly, the Tobias one was horrifying <laughs> where, where he actually really hurts his ankle. Uh, or he, he, he has a pretty nasty sprain, but he came back and looked good. Sorry. Go ahead. The fan. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, 
Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada, 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic Plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. Um, yeah, so the, there was a fan who dumped, and, and you're right, the Tobias one I thought was, was even worse. Um, so it, it just goes to show that sometimes when you see initial reaction on an ankle injury, you can't always take it for, for what you see. Um, but the fan dumped popcorn on, on Westbrook as he was leaving following his injury. The fan was kicked out that night, and then we got a statement this morning that the Sixers have revoked his season ticket membership uh, immediately and that he is banned from all events at the Wells Fargo Center indefinitely. And I think that's the right call. I know I, I got uh, my mentions have been destroyed ever since it happened, uh, and a lot of people disagree with that. It's only it's popcorn. popcorn. Yeah, right. Okay, look, first of all, Yes, and that's why he's not like being charged with assault. But this is the Wells Fargo Center. They don't. They're not. You're not charging him with a crime. You're saying, do you want this patron at your, at your, at your building anymore? And look, that is first of all, when you're Russell, Russell Westbrook, you don't know what's like. You when something hits you, you don't know exactly what it is. Like it, it's just that is disrespectful. It is a good way to cause escalation. We saw that a while back at the uh, the Palace at Auburn Hills. Uh, and it is just like, we're better than that. You do not have any right as a ticket holder to throw something at a player. You are a spectator. You can voice your opinion. You cannot under any circumstance, I don't care what it is, throw something at a player. I think it was the right move to revoke his season tickets. I think it's the right move to ban him uh, indefinitely. He There's just, there's no room for that. And look, is it, is, is Russell Westbrook going to be, yeah, he's going to be okay. But these are these are just because they're athletes, just because they're they're public people. They are human beings. You do not have the right to throw something, to spit on someone, to do anything of that sort. Uh, and I'm surprised how many people. And look, I know uh, when a tweet reaches enough people, you're going to get dumbass replies no matter what. Uh, and this is certainly one of those situations. I'm sure most people agree with the decision, but should be banned. Uh, should should not be in that building. Does not have a welcome place in that building in my eyes. I think it was the right move. Um, and I, again, I, like I had people like, oh, well, you just want to ride on a negative Philadelphia fan bandwagon. It's like, yo, buddy, I'm, I've been in Philadelphia my whole life. Like, I'm a former season Philly season ticket holder. Game of five, 2008 World Series ticket right there. Like, I am a Philadelphia fan. Uh, that has no place. It pisses me off because it taints the reputation of the city. It, It's just, and, and you're right. People are going to bring that back to, um, snowballs and batteries and all this nonsense. And I hate that negative stereotype. Be better and con- condemn that person um, so that the public pressure is to be better because we are a great fan base. I do think that other this happens in other cities. It's not a unique Philadelphia phenomenon, but you, we do sort of have that baggage. And I think if you are rationalizing it and saying it's okay, don't do that. It, that's not okay. It's not okay. I don't know. Yeah, it's I mean, honestly, it's just the the disrespect level of throwing anything 
at a player. You just can't do that. Like, He's fucking injured too. Like, ugh. yeah, it's that's bad. A uh, couple things though, and uh, I'm not, you know, I, I completely agree with everything you said. And you know, just like if you are a Sixers fan too, like that's gonna take away from, you know, your number one seed killing a team and playing well at home and Ben Simmons playing well like that that story got a lot of news which you know that's that's what happens it uh yeah so it's it, it's it's not good just just like don't throw stuff at people regardless of what it is i get it it's not a it's not a battery but just don't do it um kind of reminded me this this was a this is a weird one do you remember when the phillies were were good again a long time ago shane victorino made a catch at wrigley field and he got a beer poured on him and he yeah. still made the catch or whatever Oh man, I hope that guy got thrown out for the rest of uh for his career. Although uh it, it is funny though that like in Philadelphia, it, if somebody poured a beer on Victorino or whoever opposing player or whatever, yeah. it would get blown up just like this popcorn oh, thing. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. And this it, pop this popcorn thing would have been a big deal anywhere. Like that's you know, the, the way well, especially Twitter when, and social media works. But when it say, hits like, Westbrook Phil- and he reacts to it and he has to be restrained, it was always going to be a big deal. Um, and I don't like uh, a lot of people were like, oh, well, Westbrook like overreacted. Look, if I'm injured walking off court and I get hit with something, that I don't know what it is. But I have no idea what my reaction will be either. Also, it, Wells Fargo Center, I don't know what the uh, thing is, but but get that tarp over the edge of the uh, don't, yeah. don't don't allow that anymore. That's a that's a small thing. They probably didn't think somebody was going to pour popcorn. Down, but but let's let, let's make sure for next time. But yeah, that's uh, and to be clear. I saw a lot of people saying, well, you, maybe he dropped it. Like, no, there's video out here of him leaning over and purposefully dumping it. Like he didn't drop it. Like, I wish because maybe then that would change. Because I agree like it. This shit just sticks in Philadelphia more and it sticks anywhere else. And that does annoy me. I don't think we are all that different than the rest of the country. Certainly not different than the rest of the eastern seaboard. Um, no. But you want to change the narrative? Be better. And quite frankly, I think Sixers fans over the last couple of years have been really good fans. Uh, but it's a shame that one idiot can ruin a reputation. But it's what it's Westbrook all the time for some reason. It's Double it Birds is. guy, and it then uh, and then him. And I gotta say, as disrespectful as Double Birds guy is, he didn't throw anything at him. So <laughs> you can get booted for that, but at least you didn't like to harm his physical space. I don't know. Let's let's wrap it up. <laughs> we're, we're rambling now. Um, all right, that will uh, yeah. Let's, let's wrap it up. Like I said, we will bring Fred Katz back on. Um, not back on. Well, we're already recorded Fred Katz, but he'll be listened to after this portion of the podcast. Yes, I'm, conf- he will. I'm confusing myself, uh, but we will talk to Fred about the Wizards, about the what time he's space seen. Continuum. Yeah. <laughs> about what he's seen in this series, how he might adjust if he were the Wizards coach. Uh, newsflash: He Fred Katz probably isn't fixing the Wizards problem either, but we will talk to him about that. And, and a, an amazing beat writer covering a very average basketball team. Yeah, and I, but like an average basketball team where I think at the beginning of the season he probably would have signed up for this if given a chance. I think he probably ended up achieving more than he expected. But anyway, thank you, Rich, for jumping on. Uh, I will, listeners will listen to me talk to you here in a few seconds, but I will see you later and have a good one. See you, man. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner. I'm now joined not only by the usual Rich Hoffman, but also by Fred Katz, who covers the Wizards for the Athletic. How you doing, guys? Nice to have you on, Fred. Yeah, I, I thank think, you for having me I on. think I have been on your podcast once, 
back in the old school days when we used to go to games in person and travel. Uh, I don't believe, I think this is the first time of you being on our podcast. I think it is. Uh, yes, you have been on my podcast. I remember we, I, was, uh, you, me, and Michael Lee ducked in a uh, some some room off sure. to the side of the court. It looked like a lounge of some sort. And uh, the three of us were sitting in there talking about uh, what was probably a 76ers win based on the way the last three yeah, years. Well, because the Sixers always won at the Wells Fargo Center and they always lost in Washington. Always, even when they were good, even when Washington was only okay, the Sixers never won outside of Brett Brown's. What was it? His second game, rich third game, something in there in that first start. He never won in Washington. It was amazing. It was amazing. That really brings back memories trying to record a late game pod at Wells Fargo center while like people are trying to clean, they're uh, kicking you out of rooms. We gave up. And was, people uh, would be it like, was a different time. People would be like, well, why, why don't you ever do a, a post game pod? And it's well, a, we have to write and B, I mean, like we would, record a podcast and the cleaning crew and the food crew would just come in with these massive pots and pans. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was, it was impossible. Anyway, that was a great room though. I, I like that room you're talking about. It was a green room uh, at times during national TV games, the um, national TV crew would take over it. But other than that, we had a pretty quiet work. Anyway, nobody listens, podcast cares. You guys don't even care. So let's go on to what they do care about. Sixers took a two to nothing lead, uh, both at the Wells Fargo center after a one twenty to 95 win in which they, Used an 8-0 run to end the first half, and it was never really competitive after that. So far this series, we have Tobias Harris averaging 28 per game, uh, Joel Embiid 26 and 7, and Bradley Beal about a million and a half or something in that range. I think the real number is about 33, but the Sixers have been able to withstand that. So I guess we'll just, uh, this will be mostly Fred. Uh, Rich and I will ask a couple questions, let you get out of here, but get the other side, the other perspective. What's been your overall takeaway from the f- these first two games? And I guess maybe what's been different than what you would have expected. Um, my overall takeaway is what I expected, which is uh, that, that the 76ers are just overwhelming against the Wizards. It's, it's not just that it's a one versus eight seed where obviously you're going to have a talent discrepancy in a series that's one versus eight, but there's a stylistic discrepancy too, where I, I think I kind of thought going into the postseason that even though the Nets were my pick to win the East, I I thought the Wizards matched up better against the Nets because the overwhelming size advantage against the like for the 76ers in a series in Philadelphia would just be too much for them to overcome. They start three guards who are six three or shorter. It guarantees they're going to have at least one matchup, and they they switched a, a decent amount, especially in Game One. Uh, it. it, it it guarantees they're going to have at least one massive size disadvantage and where the 76ers size plays in the most over the course of the regular season is on the defensive end. We've seen it so much on the offensive end where they've just overwhelmed guys. The wizards really don't have a wing. They play three point guards. They play three centers and they just don't have a wing who they consider playable in a playoff situation. And so Rui Hachimura is kind of the closest guy they have to that. And he's gotten pretty torched by Tobias Harris. I mean, Tobias Harris has been incredible in this series and, and really has not done enough to disrupt him. Um, I would say the thing that has surprised me, um, I don't know. I thought Davis Bertans' performance was pretty shocking last night. You know what? I'll say something positive for the sake of being positive. It doesn't surprise me that Bradley Beal is playing great because Bradley Beal is a great player. I voted him all NBA. But he was so injured with a hamstring strand yeah. the previous week and a half, and he looked like he couldn't move. 
And I think he's been the one bright spot for the Wizards in this series, where I think he's been pretty, pretty excellent. And and the style in which he has he has been scoring has has really done it. Uh, you know, I figured if Beal was going to average 30, and he always does well against the Sixers, I, f- I felt like if he was going to average 30, it was going to be because he got hot with his jumper. It's great from mid-range and his 35% of threes. But he has been relentlessly attacking and especially scoring on floaters in like that five to eight foot range. And when Ben Simmons is guarding you and Embiid is behind him, if you average 33 a game by just attacking the rim, it's like, man, that 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 I think that should shock no matter who that player is, it's doing that. Yeah, 33 a game. And I mean, quite frankly, last night, like he would have had more if the game was competitive for longer. And the way he's gone about it, he's shooting like, I think like 15, 16% from three. Uh, and for him to still have that kind of game and still be scoring really efficiently while attacking Embiid in the paint, it has been, it's been, I mean, everyone knows he's a world-class scorer, but to do that without your jumper falling, fighting through the injuries that you said, it has, it's been impressive for sure, for sure doesn't seem like it matters too much but it's been really impressive and i don't mean i don't don't think it matters much at all i don't i don't even mean Uh, that like some people will say like oh well he's just scoring that impact i don't mean that in that way at all there's just not enough i mean one thing i will say that you you brought up like you don't really get it while you're just watching a team like five six seven times a year but when you start preparing for the series that comment about how small like you either have six three or six one guards or 6'10 slow-footed bigs, and there's outside of Achimura, there's nothing in between. And he's not exactly, like, he's an intriguing player, but he's not a defensive stopper at this stage of his career. Uh, yeah, you the Wizards are not built to take away the Sixers' strengths on offense. And when you do that, the Sixers are flawed on offense, but the Wizards just aren't built to take that away. Yeah, I mean, the way that I describe Hachimura is is he masquerades as a wing. <laughs> right. He... I- he he has to disguise himself as a wing. Like he's 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 eighty five percent of a wing. Uh, he has to he has to put on the wing costume because nobody else would ever believe it. You know he's he he is the equivalent of a wing is somebody who shows up to a party uh, on Halloween weekend when it's not actually Halloween. Halloween's on like a Wednesday that week, and they show up in a doctor's outfit, and you're like, is that person in a costume or are they actually a doctor? I can't. I can't tell only 40% of the people here are wearing stuff. That's, that's Rui playing the wing for them where it's like, he, he, you can't quite figure it out. And and he might be able to develop into that down the line, but right now, yeah, defensively, he's, he's better than he was last year. He's a lot better on the ball than he is off the ball where he still really struggles. Uh, but, but he's, he's not extremely refined. I mean, his, his closeouts can be, uh, I guess, unin. They, they don't really alter guys all that much often. He doesn't close out hard enough on, on jump shooters. I think he, he kind of protects against being driven by too much. And quite honestly, I think the number one reason why he's a back end of pick and rolls guy more than a front end of pick and rolls guy at this point is because he, if you screen him, you'll, it'll normally work. And uh, I think that's, that's been a problem as well. The wizards have had him, try to fight through screens a lot uh, against Tobias Harris and you get screened and you guys know what happens next. I guess to follow your analogy, you might put a microphone in front of my face, uh, even a professional looking one and a pair of headsets. That doesn't mean I know what I'm doing podcast, <laughs> but I, I might look like it. I might look like it. Right. The 76ers cleanup crew might come in and start banging. Right, right. Pants. You're like, Oh, this guy's not a pro. <laughs> when uh when Rui he trucked Embiid and got his second foul last night when Bertans comes into the game 
I mean, then I think it turned into Beal on Tobias and it's, yeah, it is kind of crazy how the wizards, they just don't, they don't have wings. Fred, one other area where I think the wizards, I don't think it's a surprise because we knew coming into the series, it's been good, but you know, despite the fact that they got blown out last night, I thought there were moments that they really in transition caused the Sixers problems and whether that's, um, you know, just scoring right away, whether that's like Russell Westbrook or Ish Smith or, you know, just creating like a cross match situation where Bradley Beal has a favorable matchup because they got the ball off the floor quickly. Is that a, is that something that they used a lot this season, especially like down the stretch when they, uh, when they had that good run to make the playoffs? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, they've been really, really good at getting up and down the floor. Uh, they, they led the league in pace. They, if you go to, I'm sure you guys use impredictable.com. If you go to impredictable.com, you can look up how quickly teams have possessions following different types of, uh, you know, defensive results. And, and they played the fastest pace in the league after grabbing defensive rebounds. And I believe after forcing turnovers, I think that that's right as well. If not the fastest, then one of the, the few fastest and, and look, that's, I, I asked Doc Rivers about that concept pregame yesterday. And, uh, you know, he said something made a lot of sense and I think is very true, which is when you have Russell Westbrook, you better play fast. You better play at that speed. They struggle with their half court offense in, in part because they, they really don't have a lot of shooting. Neto and Bertans are their only guys in the playoff rotation who shot above league average for three during the regular season. Beal obviously hits threes, but he's, he's not, you know, when he first came in the league, people thought of him as this pure three-point shooter. He's kind of gone the other way. I think his strength offensively is getting to the rim and getting to the line. He gets eight free throws a game, and he's he's got this very unflashy but extremely practical uh, game. You know, his his game is 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 like a Prius. It's just not going to break down. He's extremely. Um, it's just really cumbersome, and and. Um, it doesn't, but that said, it just doesn't lend itself to three-point shooting. The Wizards were, I think, 29th in the league in, in three-point rate, not percentage, but the percentage of their the ratio of their shots that came from the three-point line. They don't take a lot of them. They were two for 22 in game two. They only took 20 in game one. Uh, and they struggle on the half court because of that. And so I think part of the reason they get out running as much as they do is because well, at least we don't have to get into our half court offense in that case. Yeah. Uh, and it helps them get to the rim. You know, they, they, when they play well, it's because they're getting to the rim and getting to the line. Westbrook gets to the line. Beal gets to the line, but it's not just them. They have, they have a number of other guys who, who are pretty good when you, when you start comparing them to other third, fourth, fifth options, they have a number of other guys who are pretty good in terms of the rate at which they get to the line. Uh, Hachimura is okay in that aspect. Even a guy who comes off the bench like Garrison Matthews is unbelievable at getting fouled on jump shots because he never lands in the same spot he, spot he takes off from. Uh, and so guys just clip him on the leg all the time, and it's actually his natural shooting motion. So what might be an offensive foul for everybody else is actually a defensive foul in that scenario. Uh, so so they're good at getting to the line, and that's what props up their offense. But they need that transition. And when they aren't successful in transition – and the Sixers beat them out in fast break points, which is like I think what happened in game two, then you know they're they're seriously gonna struggle because that the half court offense is just not great, especially like Westbrook hasn't been great this series. And it's because when you put longer defenders on him and when he can't finish over that center at the rim and he's not 
getting out in transition as much as possible, then then you know he's uh, he's muted to a degree. He can still dominate if he gets hot, but it's a lot harder for him. You know, I'm just trying to think if Bradley Beal is a Prius, then what is Tobias Harris? Like a Honda Element? Like I'm trying to think where the Sixers fall in this analogy. Because <laughs> compared to what the Sixers have in perimeter scores, like he's a like Bradley Beal's a, a supercar. Yeah, he's yes. like an he's that's, like an SUV. That's true. Harris, he's bigger he's, than Bradley Beal, though. But you know that's what it. he is? Maybe maybe Beal from a practicality standpoint, maybe maybe he's more of just like a uh, maybe he's maybe he's a Tesla, where it's like it's it's a it's a very economically practical. Although you still got to charge that thing every like three hundred yeah. miles or whatever. Yeah. I guess better to think about it. Ben Simmons, maybe like a Tacoma. In terms yeah, of he might, reliable, he, but now more bruising. Anyway, we're all yeah. yeah. I think I think he might be one like a like a luxury car that's a hybrid. I think that might be more what it is. Okay. And then you get your practicality, okay. you get your luxury, and 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 then you're good. But Beal's Beal's not. He's not flashy. Like he doesn't he doesn't work on his handle in turn in the conventional way that we think of working on your handle. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't do dribbling, individual dribbling drills. He doesn't do all of that stuff. He doesn't do stuff with tennis balls like you see guys doing to work on their coordination all the time. His handle, he only works on his handle for game situations. So you don't really see him, cr- very rarely do you see him actually like cross somebody over in some sort of highlight fashion. Like he's not Iverson or Hardaway or, or Harden or one of those guys. Sure. Uh, but what he, what he has is just kind of that handle which is like, oh, I guess I guess he got to exactly where he wanted and created enough space to be able to get a shot off, even though that looked extremely normal. Uh, and uh, I, it's one of those things where I think the more you watch it, the more you appreciate it because it doesn't look remarkable at all on a highlight. But when it's all you see, you're like, wow, that just really works. No, I think I think your point and your comparison is completely fair. You're just talking to two people who cover the least flashy perimeter shot creation. Yeah. Least, so <laughs> anybody who can like dribble three times in a row and make a shot. And look, we cover a good team, but it's just not their strength. They're they're a weird, weird crew. The uh, as far as like an old school thing that Beal does that I think is just unbelievably impressive. And maybe it's because the Sixers, for whatever reason, he is the size or skill set that they just can't guard. In these two games and the 60-point game earlier this year, he is a master of working off screens, man. And it's, you know, honestly, Ben Simmons is trying his hardest to chase him around these screens, but he's, like, getting a lot of separation and finishing on Embiid at the rim. It's been I've been really surprised at how easy he is making this look. And it's, you know, it's too bad for him because the Sixers are making it look easy on the other end of the court. But I, I really like, I, I think his first two games have been like special in this series. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's excellent running around screens. He's, he's about as good as there is as a, as a guard running around screens in terms of the actual screen action. There are guys who are better shooters than him, you know, uh, you know Curry running around the screen with the way with how good he is running around the screen and how incredible of a shooter he is. That's going to inflict more fear in a defense and might make a defense make more mistakes and, and all of that. Um, but in terms of the actual action, reading the game, because what Beal is really good at is he is really good at knowing. All right, I'm curling here. 
and reading instinctually in the moment. All right, I'm going to curl because there are reads on those, right? It's not, it's not, okay, I'm running around the screen and this is the play we're running and I'm going to curl no matter what it's, he comes off and he has, he has reads like a, like a quarterback. He he's, he might flare to the three point line. He might curl and, and go to the hoop. He might then might want to, when he curls, he might want to pull up or he might want to go all the way to the rim or whatever. Um, and he has uh, become excellent at those reads. He's also, if you look at guys who are great at running around screens, there is one thing, no matter what, whether they can shoot, whether they can't shoot, whatever it is, there's one thing, no matter what they all have in common. And it's that they are all in incredible shape. Beal, JJ Redick, Curry, Clay Thompson. Um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there are more. Those guys all have epic uh, workout regimens. And those guys are all famous for the conditioning they keep themselves in because it's exhausting. That's why JJ Redick, even in his prime, was only playing 28, 29 minutes a game and was in unbelievable shape because it is exhausting to have to constantly run around like that and never be able to stand still in an NBA game. And uh, the fact that Bill can do that and also log the offensive load that he does, uh, that's, that's always been something that's really impressed me. He's just, he's, he's really one of the most complete offensive players in the league. Uh, I don't, I really, really know what his offensive, it's funny because he came into the league as the guy who could, he was just a three point shooter and, and there were the Ray Allen comparisons and all that. And now I would say if I had to choose a weakness for him, it would be three point shooting because he's, he's upped his game so much in so many other areas. Yeah, it was funny with him. I remember scouting him at Florida and he came into Florida having a huge reputation as a shooter. And then he came out and he struggled pretty much. Uh, he, I think he shot like 33% from three-point range during his, his one season. And at that point, he didn't have that refined all-around game. So I think a lot of people didn't really know what to make of him as a prospect. He has grown uh, tremendously for sure. For sure. Yeah, no, no question. And you know, it's funny, like the when he was when he was in high school even, he he was really just a off-ball shooter, run-around screens guy. He was not running pick and rolls. He wasn't running an offense. First time he ran an offense was by mistake with his AAU team. They were they messed up a tournament and they thought the final was another day and they were flying back from Nike Peach Jam in Georgia. And as they were on the the bus, uh, they they got a call and realized they had to play another game. So they they turned around the bus and went back to the arena and had to play some team who they'd never seen with no game plan. And the coach said like, all right, Brad, just run the offense today. And he ran the offense and had some huge game with some huge line. And this coach was like, Oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe Brad should be running the offense more. I think this is 17 and unders. Uh, and like, that was how Brad just kind of fell backwards into being a ball handler, even as an elite prospect in high school. So seeing him come to this point where he's running pick and rolls and, and he's, he's getting to the rim all the time and he's getting eight free throws a game is um, I don't think a lot of people saw this evolution of him coming, uh, you know, for a, for a long time. All right. So the wizards, they're, they're in a tough spot right now. Um, I, I will, D Derek, I think he mentioned this early, the Sixers have not played well in that building. This core of players have, have not even, honestly, even when they got their first win there this year and forever, Embiid almost, the season almost was over. So it, it has not been the the kindest building in the world to this crew of players. So, you know, obviously 
I think we all would agree the Sixers have a certain talent and stylistic advantage over the the Wiz. But do you guys um, like Fred? If the if the Wiz were to come back in this series, like w- what specifically do you think they would have to change or maybe do a little better? Maybe make some threes once in a while. That would be nice. Oh man. That's a tough one because I, I don't see a scenario realistically where it actually happens. But but I will say if if they're gonna if they're gonna take a game or two, they I mean Birch Hans has to get really hot, or at least hotter than zero point zero assists, <laughs> zero blocks, zero steals, six fouls, twenty-four minutes, just a little hotter than that. I mean, he's he's such an incredibly important player for them because you know what you're getting from Beal. Westbrook can be up and down, but his entire value is, I mean, you guys know this. If you ask Doc a question after Ben Simmons has two points in a game, let's say, and you say, Ben didn't play well tonight in your question, Doc will probably cut you off and say, <laughs> no, he just didn't shoot well. I mean, we, we, shoot well. we, we spent an entire, we sp- Philly spent four days deb- debating whether or not Ben Simmons played a good game one. We like legit, literally just went through this. Yeah. There you go. He didn't shoot well, but he had 15 boards and he had 15 assists or even just, he had six boards and seven assists and look at the defense he plays. It's invaluable. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Bertans is the opposite. Yeah. They say it, it is his entire value is in whether or not he shoots, not just well, but at an elite level. So when, when he doesn't score, when he, not just doesn't hit shots, but only takes four threes in 24 minutes, his value is just non-existent because especially a team like the Sixers, are, they're going to expose him on the defensive end. He's, he's not a rebounder. He's not a passer. Yeah, there's some like, you know, uh, you know, uh, unquantifiable spacing value that you get from him. But obviously that's not enough to justify zero points, zero assists, zero blocks, zero steals, six fouls, 24 minutes. Uh, and so I would say he has games where he breaks out and he hits three threes in a three-minute span, and all of a sudden the defense goes into a frenzy and they start worrying about wherever he is and sending two guys at him. And now all of a sudden he's got seven threes midway through the third quarter, and it changes the dynamic of how defenses guard the Wizards. And now all of a sudden you got guys scoring off of back cuts and, and, and guys are wide open in the corner when they otherwise wouldn't have been. It just changes the way that they play offense. And it's why when he's shooting great, he's even more valuable than his shooting numbers. But when he's shooting terribly, he's even less valuable than his shooting numbers. And, and such is the paradox of Davis Breton. So I would say if I had to choose one thing on why they get this, it would be because Breton's just had some crazy – breakout game and then you add in you know maybe Westbrook plays better and Beal plays better I I mean I think game three is a kitchen sink game for that I I would I mean barring health and all of that I mean 44 minutes for Beal and I mean it's been a thing with the Wizards all year on why does Gafford not play more than 20 minutes at any given moment when he's Uh, you know maybe your best big man definitely their best big man um, and you know, and you know, he, he's got by far the best on offs on the team, you know, like cleaning the glass had, uh, had them about eight points per hundred possessions better when Gafford was on the floor. He's got great chemistry with Westbrook. Uh, I mean, a crazy stat, he, the stuff in Chicago, it's just amazing how much a dynamic point guard can make a guy like Gafford, who's this athletic screen setting, rim running big man, 
how much a dynamic point guard can make a player like that better than when he's playing without a pick and roll point guard at all. Uh, Westbrook has in 23 games, they just got him at the trade deadline in 23 games as a wizard. Westbrook has assisted Gafford more than twice as many times as any Chicago bull did during Gafford's entire time in Chicago. (laughs) They've, They've developed a really nice, it might actually, with the way the season ended, it might actually be three times as many as any bull did during his entire time in Chicago. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. The chemistry those two have developed and they play in bench lineups together too, because Westbrook run, runs the bench during the minutes Beals off the floor. And, uh, you know, I, I'd be throwing him out there. I think he would have to have a game where he avoids foul trouble and is able to, you know, impact plays around the rim. Nobody stops Embiid. I think they'd need to do a better job doubling Embiid as well. Uh, in that, like, yeah, they've doubled him. I think the doubles were probably a little better in game two. The ones in game one were really soft, I thought. Like, they were physically there, but they didn't invade his space. They might as well have not been there. Um, I, I think you can maybe go with even harder harder doubles with him and just make him give it up so he doesn't kill you. And I think they got to find a way so that Tobias Harris doesn't score every time he touches the ball. Um, and I don't think all those things are going to happen, um, which is – which. I really don't, which is which is why I think this series uh, has either, you know, sweep or gentleman sweep energy. But, um, you know, we'll see. I do think the Wizards are probably a, a better team. I think they are a better. They closed the season 17 and 6 when they were healthy. And I think they are a better team than they've showed in these last two games. But it's just such a tough matchup for them. It is, it is a really tough stylistic contrast for them. Yeah, I think I think that's something we've been saying a lot here is that um, even though the Wizards are, I mean, like you said, they're better than probably they've shown. They the Sixers have realistic options to at least make Bradley Beal work. And I thought in the second half of game one, they made Bradley Beal work. Even when he was dropping 17 in the third quarter, they made it at least tough on him to where he had to really expend a lot of energy. And and he felt every point that he scored. The Wizards just have no ability to take the Sixers out of their comfort zone. Um, I, it's, I think why a lot of people myself included, even though the Wizards, like you said, finished 17 and six, were playing really good basketball there at the end and had a score in Beal who's just unstoppable when he's on. Even with all that, you don't expect it to be a very long series because there's just, there. I, I, like if, if you were, if I was going to make you Scott Brooks, you know, and after you upgraded your 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 Prius, not not Bradley Beal, but your actual Prius, because I'm assuming Scott Brooks make more money than you, um, what would you do to fix it? I don't know that there's a real answer to that. There, there's just not much to do here. Yeah, I mean, I'd make a change to the starting lineup. I'll tell you that much. Okay. I, I Neto Neto has been a really good, really important player for them, no question, all year. I I think there's a good argument he's been the most consistent wizard all year, next to Beal. Westbrook got off to a really, really rough start to the year with his quad injury and was a net negative in a lot of those games until he turned it on in the second half. Um, you know, I. I Neto has just consistently given them pesky defense and, you know, almost 40% three-point shooting and just extremely reliable night-to-night play. You know exactly what you're getting out of him. But this is an overwhelming task to be starting yeah. two six-one guards and a 6-3 guard or whatever <laughs> yeah. the heck it is against a team. And, and I would be – they just need more size. I mean – you could reach to the very end of the bench 
You could take out Neto. You could throw Anthony Gill out there, who has barely played this year and is a 28-year-old rookie. But he is also a really stout defender uh, and good rebounder. And he's it's funny, when the Wizards signed him, the book on him overseas was the guy is an outrageous corner three-point shooter, and he's going to be a stretch four, and you know he can actually defend a little bit, and, and that's what his MO is. And he's turns out, at least with the way the Wizards have used him and the way he's played, is he is so old school in the way that he plays and defends. He looks like a guy who could have been playing the four against Charles Oakley. Uh, and he's this very stout defender. And I don't know, like I said, this is a kitchen sink game for them. Just like it's clear that Neto in the starting lineup doesn't work. You can go Chandler Hutchison, uh, but but you need some more size, somebody who's just not going to get muscled. And of the three guards, you're not sitting Beal and you're not sitting Westbrook. And, and Neto, I'm not saying don't play him. It's a good player. Uh, but But you have to put these guys in a position to succeed and – the Sixers are just a group of five gigantic people in that starting lineup, and it, it's, it has not gone well for the Wizards. I, I think that's something that could be an intuitive change, although, you know, I don't think Anthony Gill is saving the season. Do, do, you think, do you think Brooks will respond with a pretty drastic change, or will he go with what got him here? I don't know. He, history will tell you he'll go with what got him here. So, so that would be my educated guess because they're, you know, I, I wrote after game one and said on my podcast after game one, I was like, okay, you, and, and I thought it was clear after game one. I was like, like you got to go, you got to go with, with some more size in that starting lineup. We can have discussions over what that size might be. You could even put Garrison Matthews out there instead of, instead of Neto, who is, who is more of a shooting guard and is not a big wing at all. But he's bigger than Neto, and he's stronger than Neto, and he plays extremely hard on defense. And he's at the very least, if Matthews plays 15, 20 minutes, at the very least, he is going to force at least one offensive foul. He forced more. And this is, you know, you watch too much Wizards when you know that Garrison Matthews led the league in offensive fouls forced per 36 minutes. <laughs> that's, that's when you know you're watching too much Washington Wizards basketball. Uh, but he, he gets teams to set these illegal screens on him because he goes, he guards screens extremely hard. And every single game, if he gets playing time, somebody will set an illegal screen on him at least once and it will get called because they'll set a wide base and he'll get clipped. And he was a football player and was a better football player than he was basketball player for actually the majority of his life. And then jumped a lot and he plays basketball like a football player where it's just like he, he prefers he's kind of a maniac where he like prefers to get hit. He draws those fouls and plays hard on defense and he, and he hits 38, 39% of his threes. Uh, so look, he's going to have a size discrepancy too, but, but I think he might not be as overmatched cause he's, he's very physical. Uh, whereas Neto is more kind of slithery, um, you know, but Hutchison is a guy with size and Gill is a guy with some size and, and there's just, there's gotta be, there's got to be a way to get some more size, but like we were talking about earlier, just the it's really hard to win in the NBA in 2021 when you legitimately have no wings in your rotation. Yeah. You got anything else, else, Rich, or should we let him go? I think we can let him go. All right. Well, 
Thank you uh, very much for your time. Go check out Wizards After Dark, uh, Fred's podcast. Is that still Fred's podcast, or does Ben get a, a byline on there too now? I've been trying to get I've been trying to get Ben to be my co-host for so long, and he keeps turning me down. It's my <laughs> white whale. So Ben Ben comes on. It's crazy because Ben Ben Standing comes on basically every episode, and he's just basically my guest for every episode but he wants none of the credit. And so he just comes on and I'm like, Ben, just be my co-host. And you can add it to the stuff you do at the company. At least you get credit at the company for being a co-host of the Wizards podcast. Hey, come on. You don't have, it's no more work for him. He's on every episode. It is no more work. He just wants to be the background guy. So I can't, I can't sell it to him. So, so he just does me a favor, I guess, by being on my podcast every single episode. Regardless. And he's the best. Go check out uh, Fred, Fred and companies. Uh, podcast Wizards After Dark for the other perspective from the other side. Go follow Fred on Twitter at Fred Katz. Uh, thank you for jumping on and best of luck uh, with your coverage rest of the season and uh, whenever the off season might start. Thanks for having me, guys. Yep.